Entrepreneurial confidence. What is it and do you have it? If you don't, why not? And the most important question of all, how can you increase your confidence as a business owner? This is Two Brain Radio. Here's Chris Cooper with psychotherapist Bonnie Skinner. Bonnie, welcome back to Two Brain Radio. Thanks so much, Coop. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's so awesome to have you here. And every you know moment of the time that we get to spend together is just a moment of tremendous growth for me. And so one of the big things that we've been talking about personally over the last few months is entrepreneurial confidence. And mm-hmm. after uh, talking about it with you a few weeks ago, I thought everybody needs to hear this. So can we start with that? Like, what is entrepreneurial confidence and why is it important? Yeah, absolutely we can. So entrepreneurial confidence is it's really it really comes down to the story you hold about yourself. So as entrepreneurs, we're, you know, we're out there, we want to create impact, we wanna we wanna change the course of, you know, how things are for ourselves and our families. But what we don't realize is everything we do as human beings is going to be limited by the story that we hold about ourselves. So for example, you'll hear a lot of people mention you know, struggles with imposter syndrome, right? I don't belong here. Uh, I, I'm not really this person. I'm not really going to succeed. I can't really do this. And what they're actually experiencing is, you know, a, a deficit in entrepreneurial confidence. So their picture of themselves is not as big as they want. They want to be able to see themselves, right? They don't feel like there's an alignment there, right? So if I am, let's say I'm in my first or second year of business and I'm sitting down with people who are, you know, 10 years ahead of me, I can become so focused on wherever they are that I think I should be there. And I start creating this new story about what I think I should be versus focusing on where I actually am. Does that make sense? So why is that so important for business? I think it really comes down to the pressures because business, like it's high, we all know it's highly competitive. We know that there's a lot of stress. We know that there's a lot of strategy that needs to happen. And what we actually do is we end up keeping our bodies in a more heightened state, right? So there's not just more pressure on our time and our resources, but there's more pressure on our minds. And when that happens, our brain has a whole variety of, we'll call them self-protective mechanisms that when they're activated can really go against your ability to operate your business, right? So for example, we know that when stress starts to mount, one of the things that will happen is people will fall into old historical patterns. So let's say that, you know, my historical pattern or the way in which I'm used to doing things when I'm stressed is I, I'm avoiding, right? I don't want to do anything. So all of a sudden, you know, if there's a whole lot of stress and somebody's not paying very close attention to that, they may start procrastinating. They may start avoiding tasks. They may start letting things go. And so now you see this, this, patterns show up in your business that's really a function of how you manage stress and how how well you do when things get difficult. I think this is really important to talk about now because more and more as entrepreneurs in two brain mature, quite often they'll bring a question to the group or to their mentor to which they might already know the answer. So for example, I've got two coaches who work at my gym I know they don't like the programming. I know they don't really respect me. I think they're probably talking shit about me behind my back. Should I fire them? What should I do? What's the function of entrepreneurial confidence in that situation? In that moment, usually what happens when when folks are asking questions of 
on the surface seem kind of self-evident. There's a wavering that's going on. So in the background, they're like, oh, I think I know the answer, but I'm not quite right. And usually when you poke at that, there's there's some fear of getting it wrong. And if you really dig down to, to the, all of the ways that our entrepreneurial confidence can waver, at the bottom, you'll find out what if I'm wrong, right? What if I fail? What if I screw this up? And so you'll see these kind of self-protective measures like I'll ask, right? Or I'll, I'll outsource that decision or I'll avoid it or I'll leave it alone. And really it comes down to not having um, a well-defined understanding of, okay, what does it mean about me if I do well? And what does it mean about me if I fail? Right. So again, going back to that story of myself, some people hold the belief about entrepreneurship, for example, it's like, oh, you know, you get in, you hustle, you grind, and then it just keeps getting better, 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 better. Right. So if that's the story I hold, and I think it's going to get better, 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 and it gets better, better, and then it gets bad, all of a sudden I've got two stories that don't go to, don't go together. And depending upon how willing I am to incorporate a new way of seeing what the entrepreneurial journey should look like, then all of a sudden my only question is, well, well, why can't I do it? It's not supposed to look like this. There's something wrong with me. Everybody else is doing fine, right? And that's how we get into it. So it's this. We either have a skewed, if we're struggling with entrepreneurial confidence, we either have a skewed version or an unrealistic story about ourselves, or we have an unrealistic story about the path of entrepreneurship. Definitely want to come back to that. Can we? Can you give us another example of like how this a lack of entrepreneurial confidence might manifest if uh, you know a, a gym owner is dealing with their staff or, or maybe with a client? Absolutely. So one of the, the really common ones that I deal with in, in, in coaching is leaders who are not sure whether or not they should be able to give their staff direction. Right? So for example, most people, when they hire in the beginning as entrepreneurs, who do we hire? We hire our friends, we hire people we know, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, Clients. all. So, so we're hiring based on personal relationships. Well, a personal relationship is very different from a professional relationship. And so you get to a point in your business where you have to make that shift. All of a sudden, the things that work for the personal relationship no longer work for the professional relationship. And so if somebody's not confident about how they maneuver through those two kinds of relationships, all of a sudden now you got people showing up in a professional relationship like they would as if they were talking to their friends. And that might mean, okay, well, you know, I'm watching somebody make mistakes or I'm watching somebody cause problems in my gym or in my business. Well, but you know, maybe they don't mean it or they're having a hard time at work or, or at home or, you know, they got stuff going on. So I won't address it. I'll give them some time, right? We're all, we're all a little bit guilty of doing that somewhere along the way. So if you're listening to this, we've reached about the 10 minute point and in, when I'm working with Bonnie one-on-one, this is usually about the point where I just kind of go, Oh shit, Chris. And I think some of you might be doing the same right now because the scenario that Bonnie just outlined, I think we've all been through that. We hired our friends and now suddenly we have to become their boss. And we have that epiphany that like, oh no, I'm going to lose a friend here. So Bon, you talked about the entrepreneurial journey and a lot of us start out feeling confident in the beginning because we are competent at our job, right? I, I knew that I was a good personal trainer. And so I must be a good gym owner. 
And then when I found out that they weren't the same, my confidence was gone. Like I felt like this hole opening under me. How does that translate? What I usually tell folks to experience that, and it's quite common in in the gym industry and, and beyond. What I usually tell folks is not to make confidence the absolute goal. And here's what I mean by that. Okay. I, anybody who's met me will know that I am not a confident ballerina. Okay, if you put me in ballet shoes, if you command get me in ballet shoes, it's not going to look good, right? But that doesn't bother me because I'm also not a competent ballerina. I don't know anything about ballet. I don't know. So where that's going to show up for me is if I'm not good at something, okay? So think of competence is your actual measure of how good you are at something, okay? Confidence is how good you think you are at something. Okay. If I am not good at something, i.e., e.g., ballet, okay, I'm okay if I know that I'm not good at it. So I don't, I'm, I'm not good at it. I know why I'm not good at it because I don't, no big deal. Now, if I have the expectation that I'm supposed to be confident in all of my realms, okay, then it means I get to beat myself up for not being good at things that I got no business being good at in the first place. So let me give you a, a, an entrepreneurial example. We will have folks that, like you said, you know, they start being really technical. They start as coaches and they move their way up and all of a sudden now they decide to own their gym or whatever the case may be. When they move, say, to areas of leadership, okay? So instead of coaching just this one class, now I'm, I'm running an organization now, okay? One of the things that will happen is that their, their confidence, their self-image will drop because they have an assumption they should be good at it. Right. But based on what you've never done it before. Right. Unless you've like it's been a focus of your studies, like there's no reason to assume that you should have the experience. But you're walking in with the expectation of like, oh, yeah, I should I should nail this leadership thing right away. So it's not the problem is not the confidence. The problem is that the, the it's a competence issue. So people go, oh, no, I'm not a confident leader. No, that's not true. You're not a competent leader. So if you build your, your confidence, we'll go with it. The problem is when they're not congruent. When I either, I think I'm good and I'm really measurably not, right? We all know a few of those people. Or like most of us, when I might actually be good, but I don't know how good I am or I don't think I'm very good. It's when the two don't align that we want to make an adjustment, right? Low confidence is not, across the board a bad thing it's when we it's not in line with how competent we actually are i know some people will actually overcompensate for this right so they'll act more confident than they are they might even bully uh, other gym owners when the reality is their their gym is not doing that well you know themselves yeah is this all part of this this confidence kind of picture? Yeah, absolutely. So not to kind of beat it at horse, but when you go back to that that image of yourself, that's paramount. It's everything, right? Like to, to your ner- your brain and your nervous system, your perception of yourself in the world is your source of safety, okay? So when somebody is not confident, but they feel like they're supposed to be confident and they don't trust the people that are around them, right? They're feeling vulnerable, right? So it's like, so for example, you know, I have a lot of clients who will say to me like, well, 
you know, I don't want my team to think I'm weak. And I was asking the same question. I'm like, what does that mean? Right? What what are you going to think happens? What do you think happens if they think you're weak? Right? And so ultimately, usually what's happening is is we have assigned some kind of a, a label to ourselves. We may think we're weak. Okay. And because we think we're weak, we treat ourselves a certain way. We go to bed, lay in bed at night and beat ourselves up and call ourselves stupid and all this kind of stuff. And what we'll actually do is we'll project that onto other people. And that will leave us feeling unsafe around the people that we work with. So what do we do? We just go and we just act like we're big and scary and confident and got our got our stuff together. But deep down, we know we don't actually feel that way. Yeah, absolutely. So, so where do these beliefs come from? Like, is it our narrative? Is it our history? Is it something else? It comes from our experience throughout our lives, right? So from the time we are you know, born and onward, every experience we have, our brain has to make sense of. So it has to find a way. So if, you know, if uh, I knock a glass of, of, of milk over as an eight-year-old, I might go, oh, yeah, look, milk runs across the floor, no big deal. But if I knock that same glass over as a very nervous eight-year-old, I might go, oh, God, I'm so stupid. My mom or my dad are going to be mad. And in every single one of those tiny, you know, millions and millions of experiences, we're just writing a story of ourselves. And that story of, our t- of ourselves, right, when it goes really well, Our brain writes a rule about what to do. When it doesn't go well, our brain writes a story, a a rule about what not to do. So so that is that is how we develop. That's how that's how important. That's why the 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 narrative of ourselves and our world is so important because it's like our SOPs. So the SOPs in your gym tell you what to do, when to do it, how to do it, who does it, the whole nine. Well, this is what your beliefs do. And so if you can imagine what I usually say to folks is like, imagine your beliefs as a set of train tracks, the narrative of yourself is a set of train tracks. The train doesn't go where the, where the tracks don't. So if I have a belief that says, I'm never really going to make it, then what can happen, right? Because our behaviors are always going to be guided by those tracks is I then start to self-sabotage. But even if I do start to do good, I pull myself back and start to self-sabotage. I think down the track here, we're going to talk about imposter syndrome because it seems like that's where this track might lead even if you are successful but what people are wondering right now is like how do you change that track like you know what what's the antidote to your personal beliefs the self-limiting beliefs or the narrative that you're telling yourself i usually encourage folks to identify the narrative they have first because too many times what will happen is, you know, and I, I call it toxic positivity, but it's really when we go in and we, we write down these beautiful lines of affirmations, right? And they're just random. They, they sound fantastic, but they're random. And we try to shove that in the brain and our brain will just reject it and make us feel worse. So what I usually say is, well, start with awareness, right? What do you do when you fail? What do you, what do you say to yourself? What do you, you know, what are your behaviors? Do you withdraw? Do you get angry at other people? Do you blame? You know, is the world the problem? Are you the problem? Like, what is the current narrative? Because once most folks see what the current narrative is, the next step is to show, is to see how it actually impacts their behavior. So, for example, you know, I've got one client who's doing magnificent work with me, and and, and he was looking at, you know, how he moves through the world and, and, and we talk about ways in which he didn't necessarily feel safe 
right, in, in dealing with others and, and, and even working with, you know, members of his own business. And so once we identified that narrative of I've got to watch my back, we started to, to find processes that that where that narrative had shown up, right? Things that says, okay, well, uh, it affected the way that he would meet with staff, questions he would and wouldn't ask of his staff, everything based around around that one belief. All right. So what what if there is actually something in our past where we've screwed up and you know we've legitimately failed, right? Um, mm-hmm. We've got a skeleton in the closet somewhere. Um, I, I know a lot of gym owners are reluctant to close their gyms down, even when it's not doing well. They they might even hang on too long. When in reality, and logically speaking, they would do better to shut it down, take a year off, and start from scratch with a model that works. But they don't want to do that because they'll always have that skeleton in their closet of having failed before. How do we deal with that? The biggest problem is going to be the label. It's the label of failure that's different. Right? Most people don't stop when they go, oh, yeah, I failed. They don't stop there. Most people go, I failed, therefore I am. And that's the problem is they start, even if they started O confidence, what they do is they use that one you know, undesirable outcome to start to re-narrate who they are, to change how they see themselves. They go, oh, I failed, therefore I suck. I failed, therefore I, you know, I'm never going to make it. So they start creating all these other stories. What I usually say to folks is it's very hard to judge ourselves or others with context. So I can look at anybody's behavior and go, oh, my God, that jerk or that this. Why would they do that? And that's silly and that's stupid. But what I'm doing is I'm eliminating context. I don't know anything about what happened before or after. So if we have a business owner, for example, who, like you mentioned, you know, they made some decision in their, in their gym or their business and it didn't work out. Okay. It caused a, it caused a bigger problem. If they look at that and they say, that should have never happened to me, or that only happened because I don't know what I'm doing, I'm stupid, I'm this, I'm that, it's, it's not the pain of the failure. failure. Failure's never killed anybody. We're not afraid of failure. We are afraid of what's going to happen if we think we fail. And usually that's because either somebody else is going to be, you know, treat us un, unnicely. Or we're going to beat ourselves up. And mostly that's the situation. So I ask everybody, I'm like, what happens? What is, first of all, what is your definition of failure? Because it's really important that we have one. Because if we don't, it's a lot easier to just assume that everything is failure. Anything that doesn't go my way is failure. And so once we then, once then we do have a, you know, decent or a workable uh, definition of failure, from then it's like, well, what does failure mean about me? And you want to, as much as you can, disconnect the two. Right? And so that's when we, when we go back to telling the story in context. So again, go back to the business owner who, you know, they've done something, they've identified that it's failed. Now what happened? So for example, a lot of gyms closed during, during COVID. Okay. Now those gym owners can say, I didn't know what I was doing. I was never cut out for this in the first place. I suck, blah, blah, blah. And they can run down that whole gamut. Okay. What they won't do a lot of the times is say, but there was a global pandemic. I think that didn't help. But I was going through a really difficult time for my family, right? I was actually burned out from my previous experiences. 
So to a lot of people, these things sound like excuses, but it's not excuses when we're looking back and trying to understand why we got an outcome that we got. So it's to be able to tell the story in context. So if I go back and I made a decision at the time that I would never make, which is called growth, by the way. But if I go back and I make I made a decision I would never make, then I have to understand the context under which I made it. Otherwise, I'm just judging myself unfairly. I'm ignoring a whole bunch of other information and just judging myself based on this one decision. And that we've got to be really careful about doing that. I thought of a good example of this. So one of the hardest things for gym owners to do is to raise their rates. And it's very, in the CrossFit space, for people to do what they call a quote unquote grandfathered rate. You sign up for my gym in 2008, and I am so grateful to have any client, any money coming in that I will allow you to, or I'll promise that you can you can pay that rate for the rest of your life. And then 10 years later, you kind of realize that that's a little bit ridiculous, that now you have this person who's paying less than half of what other people in your gym are paying. And it's still, you know, it's probably about a third of what you should be charging. And you realize you've made a mistake, but you're too embarrassed to have this conversation with people. What's the value of having that conversation anyway? Should you not have the conversation? Should you honor your grandfathered rate promise that you made on your first day as an entrepreneur? How should you deal with that? I think the first thing you've got to do is figure out where the embarrassment comes from, right? Because that's going to show off again. So is the embarrassment from, oh, you know, I, I just forgot to do something and you ended up with the same rate or is the embarrassment from, I actually don't want to approach you and tell you it's going to cost more because I'm expecting you to have some kind of a response. Like, like it's, I always say like feelings first, a feeling is going to tell you where your vulnerability is. So go there first. And then, you know, yes, if you, if you've decided that, listen, your organization needs to be, you know, this is the rate that we're going with then that's where you put the rate. So you figure out how you're going to have that conversation, right? Usually straightforward. This is a, you know, this is our policy. This is, this is what it's going to mean for you. Any questions, that kind of stuff. And then trust that if you've got the right people in your organization, they're going to support you in the direction that you're going. You've done a great job in, in building the culture and, and you've got a good solid vision of, of what you want to be able to offer, the value you want to offer to your clients. You have to believe in that. I've got another example that, that flows through this rate increase because this is a very stressful process for a lot of people. Mm. And uh, in this example, the gym owner uh, had a rate increase that was long overdue. She was wildly undercharging. She brought the rate up by, let's say that it was $20 per month. And that was a bit of a jump, but still it was nowhere near what it, the rate should have been. And um, as on the eve of presenting this rate increase to her clients, her staff actually rebelled and her staff started saying, they're all going to quit. We're going to quit. This is unfair. There's no reason for you to raise this money. Now, of course, the staff had no context on how little the owner was making, mm. but she took it back. She said, forget it, forget it. No rate increase. I, I was wrong. Mm. How can she ever increase her rates again? You know, her clients and her staff know that she tried to increase her rates again and she caved. How does she ever develop the entrepreneurial confidence to, to correct that mistake? It's quite possible that that mistake is going to be the source of her entrepreneurial confidence. Because what happens is you see what happens when you 
when you pull in and try to please everybody. So what, you know, there's a saying that you see that like what got you here might not get you there, which means what got you to this level might not get you to the next. The people that got you to this level might not be the ones that are going to stay with you when you decide to grow to where you're going. to. So when she encountered the staff and the staff was like, oh my goodness, here's what's just happening. What it sounds like didn't happen was she couldn't sell the vision either because she didn't believe it, which is quite possible, right? So if, if, if I am worried, if the story I hold is if I install this policy, rate change, whatever it is, I'm going to lose everybody and it's going to kill my business. I mean, he doesn't believe in it. If he doesn't believe in it, he can't sell it to the staff, right? So it, it and again, you know, he may not believe it because he's like, oh, I think everybody will quit. Well, there's an adjustment that'll have to be made in the entrepreneurial story, right? Which means the entrepreneurial story says, yeah, you, you may lose some people. That's true. That's a part of the journey. And if you can accept that, then here's the next, here's the next step for you. But it's really going to come down to like, okay, you see what happens now. You see that if you don't move forward with the decisions you need to make in your business, then you just always are held hostage by the person who's a little bit more afraid than you are. Help. That's amazing. Very insightful, Bon. Um, so one of my favorite things about you as a coach and a mentor is that it's not just that you can tell me what's wrong or what's happening, but it's also that you can tell me how to fix it and some steps that we can take. So I think by now, everybody listening to this podcast understands that they could probably use a little bit more entrepreneurial confidence, or maybe that entrepreneurial confidence is really what's holding their business back. What are some steps that they can take to start building that uh, and step-by-step and eventually grow with it? Uh, Listen, coaching and mentorship is always at the top of the role, but if we're talking about, you know, kind of steps that they can actually take right now, what I would do is like close your door, Sit down with a piece of paper and write out why you're going to fail. And most folks are like, why would I ever do that? Right. But what will actually happen if you if you commit to doing that is you'll start to identify some of the beliefs that are going to show up. Right? These are going to be your psychological blind spots. And when you're rational and you're trying to think about something from a, a logical perspective, they're not going to show up. They're going to show up when you're stressed, when you're overwhelmed, when you're upset, when you're ranting. Right. So, so really start to say, what story am I operating from, right? Is it, is it too rose colored? Is it, oh, I think it's going to be a, if I just put in the work, everything's going to go fine all the time. Or is it, oh, I actually don't believe that I can do well. So, or is it somewhere in between? And then label, sit down and write out like, okay, where do I struggle? What are the things I'm afraid of? And if you know how to adjust those things, or you know what you need to do, because sometimes we do, that's very, very common. But if you don't, that's when you reach out for help. You say, this is what I'm experiencing. What do I do? They can call me. They can go to you. They can go to their mentor. But don't sit with it. Don't. The worst thing you can do to entrepreneurial confidence is make the assumption that you should know. That is the number one pitfall. Is people go, oh, but I should know. According to what? Right? If you haven't done it before, you haven't watched anybody else do it before, or you haven't studied it, there's no reason for you to know. Check those three boxes. Go get help. Go sit there. I, I think one tendency that a lot of us have that maybe undermines our confidence is that we we ruminate long and hard on our failures, but we mm-hmm. fail to recognize our wins. And the reality is that for most of us, the wins outnumber the failures. 
10 or 20 to one. Is there a way that we can kind of balance these things out in our brains? Hmm, that's a really good question. Our, our brains are going to be designed to see failures are the things that we label as failures uh, as being more significant. And that really comes from, you know, the negativity bias that keeps us safe. So for example, if I'm, you know, the way my, our brains see the world is if I'm out and I miss something positive, that's no big deal. Okay. But if I'm out and I miss something negative, I miss something threatening, that's a big deal. And that's why our brain prioritizes, you know, negative or painful events much, much higher. So we actually have to work harder to log our wins. So there should be at the end of every week, you some space where you take time to go, what went well, right? And even I'll even say to some folks, like do that at the at, in the middle of your week or the end of your week, but also do it at the start of your week. What went well last week? So that you start from a place of competence from the previous week. Like, oh yeah, I nailed that this week. Yeah, some things went wrong. You're right. But what you're doing is you're telling your brain where to start, where to start its focus. And you may have to do that, you know, three, four, five months. But at some point, what will happen is it will become a norm. Every time you identify something you didn't do as well as you wanted to, you automatically will start to move towards, yeah, but this happened as well. That's interesting, Vaughn. So um, when you're working with an entrepreneur, and you start digging down and finding out like, here, here are the reasons that you're not confident or, or you're finding these like self-limiting beliefs. How do you keep the conversation uh, focused on growing a business instead of just, you know, devolving into therapy? I think it's really about understanding that like you, you can't separate the humanity from the business. Like we're people doing business, right? We don't get to be like, professionals at work and then humans at home. So I usually say to folks like, you know, like stop this whole, you need to separate work and, and whatever thing. How I usually do it as I, I go back to the pattern, we all have patterns of behavior. We all have patterns that show up when we're happy and content and feel safe. And we all have patterns that show up when we feel stressed and overwhelmed and, and, and threatened. And if you know those patterns and you know how those patterns are going to affect how you move through your day, then we're not really talking about business or home. We're just talking about you. And then that becomes applicable to wherever you are. If you're sitting down hanging out with your kids or if you're, you know, running a staff meeting, it's really going to come back to, you know, what's going on with you in any particular moment. That is the thing that is always going to be the most important. You know, yesterday we were talking a little bit about, you know, things like, uh, the impact of knowledge and the impact of mentorship and the impact of mental fitness. Like, well, you can know everything you need to know, right? You can have somebody helping tell you how to put it into place. But the second you feel threatened or stressed or overwhelmed, your nervous system will trump all that. So if you're not building the mental fitness, then you're vulnerable, right? And so, the, so entrepreneurial confidence you know, is a piece of building that mental fitness. It, it, it requires us to look at how we see ourselves and how we see the world and what it is that we expect from this thing we call the entrepreneurial journey. I think it's it's really important at this point to share like why we're having this conversation today. And so um, years ago, when I was selling courses on how to run a gym, 
uh, we sold a bunch of them, like 50 people bought the course. And then when I followed up with the people, I found that like, that wasn't enough. The, the knowledge didn't change their gym. And so I realized that we needed to have a mentorship component. And so now for the last seven years, we have been a mentorship practice that delivers knowledge, uh, but we also guide people through change. But still, there's a very, very small percentage of clients who need, there's, there's still this gap. And one reached out to me yesterday and said, Chris, I really want to get back into Two Brain. They had been in our growth program and uh, pulled out about a year ago. I really want to get back into Two Brain. It's so valuable, but I'm embarrassed. And I said, what do you possibly have to be embarrassed about? And he said, well, you know, I, I, I was getting the mentor and I love the mentor and I, I got the information and it's so great, but I just wasn't taking action on any of it. And it, like, it wasn't a time problem. I just felt like paralyzed. And then I'd get on a call with my mentor and I'd be embarrassed that I hadn't done my homework. And eventually that's why I pulled the plug. I, it, it wasn't a value thing. It was just like a, I wasn't doing it and, and I blame myself. So how do I know it's going to be different this time around? And so I called Bonnie and she said, the gap is mental fitness. So Bonnie, maybe you can dig into that for me a little bit, like knowledge is necessary, but it doesn't solve the problem. Mentorship takes most people the rest of the way, but for all of us, there's a mental fitness gap that is at least limiting our, our progress, right? Yeah, 100%. We will not outdo an activated brain. Here's what I mean when I say that. So if I, so let's, let's go back to like the, the person that walks through the gym door January 4th, 5th, whatever it is, and they're like, hey, I'm going to lose a ton of, I want to lose a ton of weight for my wedding or whatever it is. Okay. Now, what your coach is going to do is they're going to say, here's what you do and here's how you do it. But what they're not going to say is here are the things that are going to get in the way. When you see the person next to you and they're, you know, 4% body fat and they're working out like a pro, you're going to want to go home. And that's normal. And they're not going to say, well, you know, when you go to your friend's house and like you're having a salad and this chick walks out with a piece of chocolate cake, you're kind of want to have a, you're going to have a tough time, right? That's what they're not going to say. But 100% of the time, if that person does not have the mental fitness to, to, to A, know and understand that they're not in, there's going to be moments when they're just not in control then they don't know what to do and they're less vulnerable. So we give them the knowledge, we tell them what to do and how to do it, but we don't ever talk about, here are the, here are the things that are going to sabotage you. Here are the pitfalls. Here are the things you need to look out for. And that's important. So like without that third piece, we leave people vulnerable to their own humanity, their own human experiences. And all of us have human factors that are going to shut us down. Whether it's, you know, anxiety and depression, uh, problems at home, just plain overwhelm, you know, uncertainty, confidence, doesn't matter, doesn't matter what it is. All of us have these human factors and mental fitness is about learning how to control the human factors that would get in the way of your success. Can I just share one little tidbit that I've learned from you that's been so, so, so helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want to give people like a little glimpse of what it's like to work with Bonnie. Uh, so first of all, you know, 
I usually wind up ranting and Bonnie listens patiently. And then she says something that's a massive epiphany that just makes me smack my forehead or swear. And then she says, here's how you fix it. And so this is, this is just such a wonderful example. Um, several, several weeks ago, I was feeling really overwhelmed and, um, you know, two brains, a big company. I never meant for it to have 65 staff on, you know, every continent in the world and like a quarter million dollar a month payroll and all this stuff. And sometimes that adds up. And something that Bonnie said was before you do anything else at the start of the day, do one thing that's going to grow your business. And it hit me like, oh my goodness, that's so obvious. Like that's what I used to do back in 2009 before I coached my first class, I would write a blog post. But it's that kind of epiphany that's so powerful. And, and the genius in that, in that instruction is that it's so simple. So now before I look at my email, before I open Slack, before I think about problems that I have to solve as CEO, I ask myself, what is one thing that I can do that will make my business better or grow my business today. And I do that before I allow myself to do anything else. So Bon, that, that's just some tremendous mentorship that I've received from you. I know a lot of our tinkers work with you to develop their mental fitness. Where can people get some resources or some other free help? Yeah, they can, uh, they can go to the website at um, yourmentalfitness.ca. In a couple of weeks, uh, I'll be releasing some information on some confidence building groups that we're going to run as well. But they can always also find me find me on Facebook. Uh, we've got a Facebook group that is at Mental Fitness, the number four CEO. Uh, and I usually post in there a couple times a week as well. Wonderful. I will. Yeah, it's a, that's a free group, right? Yeah, it is. Perfect. I'll share links in the show notes. but And uh, we will have you on again if you have questions for Bonnie. And uh, or you love the show and, you know, you want more information, you can find it in our free group. We'll link to that. You can also send me questions and um, I'll, I'm happy to bring Bonnie on again and, and just like do a Q&A and answer the questions from the audience. This is something that affects every single entrepreneur. It underlies most of the problems that entrepreneurs have. And uh, I, I want to make sure that people know how to solve the problem because it's a solvable one, isn't it? For sure. For sure. All right, Bonnie, thanks so much for coming on and sharing with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Two Brain Radio. Be sure to subscribe for more shows. Now, Chris is back with a postscript. If you aren't in the Gym Owners United group on Facebook, this is my personal invitation to join. It's the only public Facebook group that I participate in, and I'm in there all the time with tips, tactics, and free resources. I'd love to network with you and help you grow your business. Join Gym Owners United on Facebook. 